0: This is the Early Link Podcast, I'm Rafael Otto. Today I'm talking with Hadia Miller, who is the current president of the Oregon Association for the Education of Young Children and works as the African-American Family Child Care Network Coordinator at the Childcare Resource and Referral of Multnomah County. She also serves as the Early Childhood Chairperson for the Board of Black Child Development, PDX. That organization connects community members, black leaders, and allies to change outcomes for young black children in Portland. They are presently focused on preventing the expulsion and suspension of Black children in early learning. Hadia, it's great to be speaking with you today. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. Can you tell me a bit about the Oregon Association for the Education of Young Children?
1: Uh, The Oregon Association for the Young Children is an affiliate of the National Association for Young Children. And our goal is promoting high-quality learning by connecting practice, policy, and research. And we do that through conferences, other kinds of training, being at the table when early learning things are coming up at the state level. And also we have chapters around the state of Oregon that are also working on behalf of young children and their families.
0: And tell me a bit about Black Child Development, PDX, and how do these two organizations intersect?
1: Um, Black Child Development really is focusing on... Uh, Black children and Black families, and the goal is to engage and support and to support the Black community, particularly the early childhood community, to be able to have a voice in what's happening around the state. And so we are really, one of our focuses, we have a person who runs our family empowerment program. I am on the committee that's doing suspension and suspension, and so we're really looking at the issues that are connected to our community and how we can help families and children and providers and teachers, how we can help them to become the best that they can be. And part of that is
0: looking at issues that affect young Black children early, we're talking in the early childhood range, like birth to age eight, roughly? Yes, it sounds like to me that Black Child Development, part of what you're doing is to elevate the Black experience and the Black voice when things are being made at the decision-making level in the legislature. Is that right?
1: Yes. And also in, in Multnomah County, because that's where we're located, specifically what's happening in Multnomah County, and so that we want to be at the table to be able to make folks aware, you know, what the black community needs, in particular, and what the black parents, black children, and family childcare providers and teachers need to be, you know, to be the best that they can be, you know, so that our community can continue through, through growing. And what we know is that, particularly when we look at suspension and expulsion. You know, race plays a very strong role in how children and families and teachers see themselves, and so we really want to talk about that. We want to name it, right? And so that's part of what BCD TDX is doing: is that we are naming what are the the barriers, um, and also naming what are the strengths that our community can bring to the table.
0: I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that issue specifically for young Black children. I know that there's been some research on the issue on how Black children are disproportionately suspended or expelled from early learning environments, such as preschool. Can you talk a little bit more about what that issue and maybe how it is playing out in Multnomah County?
1: I think, you know, what I know is happening is that We talk a lot about implicit bias, and so when you look at implicit bias, particularly as it relates to race, is that teachers have a certain idea, particularly around black boys and black girls, have particular images and expectations for them and different standards for them than they do for the white children in the classroom. And so what we want to work on is to help teachers to be able to identify those biases, so that they can begin to shift how they think and how they respond to black girls and black boys. Mm -hmm. So what we notice is, you know, they're more likely to be suspended or what we call soft expulsion by, you know, either it would be really easier for your child if they only came on Tuesday morning and Thursday morning, or they have them sitting in timeout, or they're sitting in timeout outside the classroom. Sure. And so all of those ways in which children are not connected to learning. Right. So we look at that as being suspension. And it also has an impact on their own sense of self. Mm -hmm. You know, children come who they are, they bring that with them when they come into the classroom. And when you have teachers who do not understand The behaviors or the way they move or how they talk, they misinterpret that. And so what happens is that black girls and boys end up being disciplined in ways that are more harsher than the white children in the classrooms.
0: Right. And, you know, the word expulsion, I think there's maybe a broader understanding of what that means in a K-12 setting. Right. But like, what does that mean for a three-year-old or a four-year-old who is being expelled from their preschool?
1: You know, for me, what I think it means is like, to me, it begins at the door when children come into the classroom. And so those children may not be greeted by the teacher. The teacher may not, you know, try to help them transition into the classroom. I think other things like other children in the classroom can get away with certain kinds of behaviors so if you think about group time. And so, mm-hmm. you know, a white child can be raising their hands and, you know, not sitting the way a teacher wants them to sit, but if the black child is doing it, that's the one that she's going to target, mm-hmm. he or she's going to target, and that's the one that's going to get the discipline behind that. And so what happens for me, I think, is that children begin to think about that an early child, we talk about, you know, good responses from children, that children begin to use other kinds of responses to get their needs met. And those are sometimes what they call challenging behaviors, when it really is about the social emotional piece about the challenge, just, I really want you to see me, notice me, and be with me. And so they just come up with some other kinds of strategies to do that. And I think for black kids, I mean, they're already in a system and have already been a part of a system where... They see in their own community how their families are being treated, and right now I would say white teachers, but how society has set this up so that children and black folks that, you know, we have to always deal with the impact of racism. Mm -hmm. And so there's also this sense of internalizing what the teacher says or what society says about who you are, and that also impacts the behavior. And important to understand that that's
0: happening at
1: such a young age, yes, yes, And for infants and toddlers, it can be you know things like biting too much, right? What we know about that that that's a typical child behavior, but then it gets becomes really hard when the child is repeatedly doing that, and then the program is really worried about other parents complaining. But we now know that infants and toddlers are also being expelled in early childhood programs.
0: And that expulsion is sort of, I would imagine there's a, a labeling of that child as a problem child. Yes. You're asking them to leave the program and then they then yeah. they have to, their family has to go and, and look for an alternative. Then that can become quite difficult over time, I would imagine.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I've heard stories of children who like in a month have been to three or four different early learning settings because they have been asked to leave. And so, you know, you do that once or twice, even a child's going to figure out that the system is not about me. And I think for families, it's really hard. You know, a lot of times people say, well, why don't they just tell the, you know, the program? And well, there's always that fear that if I let you know that you're not going to even begin to have that conversation with me about having my child in your program. And so I think it's just, you know, it's it's a really hard thing. I mean, when I look at this, I like to think of it as... That we have to get our systems in place that will support providers, support teachers, and support children. And I think that's where we're struggling right now um, in Oregon. I know there's a lot of work going on when we talk about culturally responsive, looking at implicit bias, you know, how to create an environment where, you know, right now, black children, where they feel safe. Right. Right. Yeah. And so it sounds like when you're
0: talking about addressing implicit bias, it sounds like some really deep work, professional learning for teachers who are in these classrooms and working with kids directly. Like that seems like it would be a really important step Yes, um, to try to embed that training. What what does that look like? And what are some of the other solutions that you would put on the table?
1: I mean, you know, for me, if we think about it, um, if we're looking at race and gender, Is that really like what are the messages that you grew up with around black adults first, right? Because all they're doing is taking those images that they have from the black adults and they're putting those on on black boys and black girls. So I think really trying to understand what that means. I mean, we're in a time now that I think people are more willing to look at that um, and kind of own that they do have biases because we all have them but also to really kind of delve in, so what does that look like in your practices and your policies and your procedures, you know? How are you doing, are you doing different things for different children based on race and gender? Mm -hmm. I think the other thing is being really clear about what we call typical behavior, understanding what is typical behavior, and then also understanding the difference between challenging behavior. My experience as a trainer, It's been that people somehow expect that children come into classrooms and already have the skills as opposed to thinking about that our role is to help children learn those skills. So if you don't have self-regulation skills, we're going to teach you how to be able to do that. And a lot of times, you know, I always say that teachers tend to want to teach how they were raised versus looking at their role in a different way, like they're a professional. So, you know, being really clear about those behaviors and things that they learned about how to discipline children, that those techniques should not be applied, particularly some spanking or using loud voices or putting children in timeout, that those kinds of strategies are not gonna help children be able to meet the goals in terms around social emotional development
0: seems like a a very important step. The idea of working as a teacher and really going deep on that self-awareness about how your past influences your current decision making
1: right. And also want to be clear, I'm not blaming teachers. I think we just need to work more with teachers around these kinds of issues. You know, and if we also look at, What the teacher is bringing in, you know, it's a very low paying field, right? Mm -hmm. Right. There's a lot of expectations put on early learning professionals without the system that sets it up. So, you know, like some programs may or may not even have planning time, you know, and so if they don't have a built-in system in those programs, that's really going to be really looking at, am I taking the best care of my staff? then it's not going to work. You know, if you if got your own worries about how your family is going to eat or, you know, where you're going to live, then it's going to be really your, your level of, I don't want to say understanding, but your, your response becomes very, very different if you're not having those kinds of concerns in your own family.
0: Right, right. How did you, I just want to ask, you know, about your background. How did you come to this work?
1: Well, I grew up in Vancouver, Washington, and my family was one of, there wasn't a whole lot of African-Americans in that community, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I just have these very strong memories um, when we got together. Somehow it always ended up around race in the family discussions. And so I grew up hearing um, those discussions. Uh, My mother led a NAACP chapter and okay. so i was able to hear that conversation um and the message that i got you know from my extended family and my family was that it was kind of like my responsibility to take care of and make sure our community thrived and so that has always been and cuz that was always something that was discussed in my family that is just something that i bring to the table and that i live through um in my work in early learning When I went to Pacific Oaks College, that was a very different experience just in terms of everything that we, no matter what the topic was, there was always looking at it from a social and political perspective. Mm -hmm. And so that really helped me to kind of be able to analyze um, what I see. And also that people, that was probably one of the first times that I knew people even talked about race. So that's when I started learning how, it was okay for me to talk about race that i had to talk about race
0: do you find that it's difficult to talk about race in the field that you're in yes yes.
1: i mean it is hard
0: yeah what are some of those barriers that you encounter
1: well i think you get marginalized right Mm -hmm. um i think that i could say something but if a white person says it then it's seen as being important Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, particularly African-American women were looked at as being aggressive. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether, you know, they've assumed that I'm being aggressive when it may be that I'm being passionate about something. I think also that there's not a critical mass of African-Americans and early learning that we're able to support each other. I think that's also one of the reasons for BCDI that we want to bring early learning folks, particularly in Multnomah County, we want to bring them together so that they do have, so that we all have this strong community, you know, because some days it's just, it just wears on you, you know, just, right. it just wears on you. So, you know, for me, I don't know, it it just wears on you. So I just think that there are certain places that it's been really, really difficult, but there's been other places, particularly when there was another African American or a couple of us in the space that I felt like I didn't have to always bring the issues up because when you bring the issues up, you kind of, well, you do, you get targeted. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh,
0: Thank you for sharing that. I, um, I wanted to ask you, you know, thinking about BCD PDX and the work ahead, I know that there are several issue areas that you're working on. So could you, Could you talk a little bit about that work and what you're looking toward? What do you have planned?
1: So we have a committee and then we have subcommittees. And so we have four. One of them is the data committee. And the goal of the data committee when we started was to find out what was the data across the country. You know, what are people saying and what kind of information is available? Then the committee began to start figuring that out for Oregon They continue to try to find the data that's available, but we're also running into seeing that some of that we have no access to that data because they're trying to protect confidentiality. So one of the things that particular subcommittee is working on is doing a parent survey of parents who their child has been expelled and suspended or parents for children in the process of becoming Expel or suspended. Mm-hmm. So they really are focusing on the data. and we also want that data, so that we have another committee called legislation committee where we are looking at doing changing or making a ban on infant toddler and preschool expulsion in the state. So presently in that committee is uh, working with uh, working on that. They're working with Children's Institute to help us do that. And so we're at the very beginning process of going through that legislative process to get it to a bill. Then there is the communication committee and they're the committee um, that has been charged at helping us to frame what we're doing. So no matter where we're at, we're all saying the same thing. They also help design the parent survey and then they've also done some other stuff. So like how they help us to communicate the work that we're doing within the explosion and suspension committee. And then the last committee is the workforce. And so, we in the workforce committee are really looking at, so, you know, what are the best ways and strategies that we can use to engage and to support providers, family child care providers, as well as teachers and centers? Like, what is going to be the best way to do that? And so, one of the things, which the state is also looking at, um is a coaching model. And so we are working presently trying to figure out a way to kind of do a little coaching pilot to figure out, because what we know is that there's some people who need more extensive coaching. We know other folks may do better with maybe a peer coaching model. And then we have other folks who may do better just doing an individual coaching model. But we're trying to figure that part out. And as well as how do we do cohorts? so, because typically the training that happens nowadays is you take a three-hour training and, you know, people get really, really excited on that Thursday. And then by Monday, they've kind of reverted back because they have not had any more additional support or somebody to talk to um, or or to change things. So those are the four pillars um, that we're presently working on right now.
0: What's included in the work of trying to make... Suspension and expulsion policies, you know, or to ban those essentially for young children? What does that entail and what timeline are you working with?
1: So, you know, first of all, we have to educate the community. Like, what, what does that mean? You know, because I feel that, you know, programs may be doing it and not looking at it that way. I also feel like we have to find a way that teachers and providers can be honest with us without having to worry that, you know, people are looking down on them. The part of the legislation piece that we're really working on is that we want more data. We want more consistent data and we want the data to be available. The other thing is the coaching model, we want to, or a professional development. We want a stronger professional development. you look implicit bias, like a mandated class, you have to take on diversity and equity in more than three hours that we have a professional development that is really meaningful to people, impactful, mm-hmm. and allows people to be reflective. And I also just want to say, I want people to know that it's okay to make a mistake, right? Yeah. right. And so we want, we want to try to build that all into that and that we need you a part of this journey. And then the other one is that we just want to ban expansion and suspension. At this point, our recommendation is... We want people to get all of the support that they need. And then by, you know, say, for example, by 2025, then the ban would go in. And so we're not going to start off and just say no, but we want all the support systems in place. We want to give people an opportunity to be able to, you know, think about and change their practice before we start saying, you know, this is going to be this way. Right. So that's where we're headed. Yeah.
0: I also wanted to ask you about Preschool for All. Are you working with that campaign, or what's your opinion of that initiative?
1: Yeah, so I've been working with Preschool for All, I want to say, two years going on, three years. You know, for me, you know, just the whole process of how we've got to where we are today with this, it's probably the first time being on a committee where I really felt that they really wanted to hear from communities of color. And that was really, really important and that we weren't being marginalized or kind of pat on your head and say, oh, you know, okay, that's really, really good. You really actually saw policies and practice and procedures changing based on what people of color in that group were saying. Right. The one thing that I really like about that program is that they really are trying to serve the children um, who need it the most and particularly right now. And so, We know that right now it's, you know, children of color, particularly black children, who need programs that are of quality. And so that's been their focus. I mean, and they have figured things out. They're moving out of the traditional box. So, you know, we're talking about family navigators who are coming from those communities. We're talking about bringing in culturally specific organizations so that they can work more with the people from their community and, you know, and help them become better teachers. Or, or So I just think that their whole premise has been that we understand that race has impacted and continues to impact how children of color or BIPOC children are being served in early learning. And we want to make this experience a very, very different one. And so we have to do things outside the box. Things like having a coach that is African-American coming into your space, rather than having a white person come into your space. Um, We've looked at different ways, uh, models of curriculum, um, and different types of programs that people may, you know, go to. So they just open the door. So it's not your typical, you have to be, you know, in a four-day program. They just have opened the door, and they have just allowed a lot of discussion. And I think the discussions have been important, but they really – want to make sure that this is successful for children, for parents, and for teachers.
0: What do you attribute that to? Because I know that oftentimes the community voice is not centered in an advocacy approach or, you know, when a policy is being made, and sometimes those decisions are left up to the quote-unquote experts. What, What was different about the Preschool for All effort that really
1: allowed it to open the door? Was it the
0: people who were involved or?
1: Yeah, because they don't see themselves as the experts. That's, I mean, when you said that, that was like, yeah, they don't see, as typically the people at the top see them as experts. They don't see themselves as experts. They see themselves working with the community and really listening and acting upon what the communities are saying about what children need. So that's just the difference. And they know that What I do over here with my African-American children may look very, very different what a Somalian group does with their kids, and that's going to be okay, right? Sure. Is that we do have, you know, these standards, but yeah, but there's different ways of getting to those standards. Um, I think they're also acknowledging cultural-specific organizations that have been doing this work for many, many years, and they have a wealth of information, and they have you know, strategies and things that they know works particularly for their community. And so you're not having to go to some other organization. You get to stay within that organization within your community. And they really have listened. I'm on the the committee that's particularly around curriculum and, and training. And so they have really listened to what is important. And the other thing was that it isn't just one person of color on these committees There is a balance of assuring that there are BIPOC people at all levels of this process. So it wasn't just, you know, you got Hadid here and then you got somebody over there that there's diversity that's happening in terms of race and gender, um, socioeconomic status. I mean, there's just all these different levels of folks that are there at the table.
0: Great to hear. That's really important and much needed. Yes. I wanted to ask you about, I know you're you're planning a, uh, a summit for later this fall. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yes. So on October 27th, we are planning a summit, and the summit is focusing on black children. We call it Black Children Matter, and we're looking at suspension and suspension. And also the effort is really about people taking action, right? People thinking about, and I mean from... You know, the preschool teacher, whoever comes to that, that there are individual ways that all of us can take action around stopping this rate of suspension and expulsion, particularly in Multnomah County, but in other counties as well. You know, we have a panel that's composed of parents, some a child who's grown up around that, an older child. We have someone who's going to talk about what that means for the educational institutions, like what kinds of things they can be focusing on. And then after that, then people are going to go into groups, and we've identified some ways how people can um, become advocates, and then they're going to choose some form of advocacy, and then we plan on later on bringing those folks back together and talking about what's happening. Because I feel like, you know, when I was a teacher, my advocacy was in my classroom. Right, And so right. the things that I could advocate for my children that were in my, you know, in my classroom, but that that it was really, really important, particularly, you know, when I had black boys or even black girls in my classroom, those are the children that I had to advocate for because people were misinterpreting, you know, their behaviors or how they respond where I, you know, where I just kind of, you know, I didn't even go there with them. It's just like. You know, we would just have these conversations and then bring things into the classroom. So that's what we're looking for. We're looking for action and awareness. We want people to know that this is what's happening.
0: That sounds wonderful. Uh, Hadia. thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast. I thank you for your efforts, and I wish you luck with the work ahead. Thank you. This is the Early Link Podcast brought to you by Children's Institute. Children's Institute is working to ensure that every child in Oregon has the best start in life. I'm your host, Rafael Otto. Join us and tune in on 99.1 FM on the second and fourth Sunday of every month at 4.30 p.m. If you don't catch us on the air, you can always find episodes on the Children's Institute website at childinst.org and on the Portland Radio Project website at prp.fm. The Early Link podcast is also available on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Thanks for listening.